electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you about what's going on in these crazy times. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Tomorrow morning, I think we're going to need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. That's because if we get a good consumer price index number at 8.30 a.m. showing the economy is cooling, there's a really strong chance it could help us come up with a better forecast. That's huge going into earnings season because stocks trade on forecasts, and most money managers believe the forecast will be weaker given the economy's deteriorating. It doesn't have to be that way, though, which is one reason why we rallied nicely today, with the Dow gaining 269 points, S&P advancing 1.28%, NASDAQ climbing 1.76%. It was a very broad-based rally, done in the vacuum, of course, of no news whatsoever. Let me show you a route that could produce a positive outcome for stocks by tracing what happened last year, working backwards to figure out what the future might hold. I mentioned that we might need a weatherman tomorrow because stocks tend to go down when companies face headwinds and they go up when those headwinds turn into tailwinds. We know last year's market was horrendous. Worst performance since 2008, the onset of the Great Recession, and one of the seven worst since the S&P 500 was first compiled. But you may not realize that there were actually two markets last year. You had the huge losers, which included the mega cap techs, semiconductors, enterprise software, the SPACs, and the recent IPOs. Then on the other hand, you had pretty much everything else. For most of the year, the whole market lurched lower together, and the selling only got worse after Fed Chief Jay Powell made a big speech at Jackson Hole in late August. He picked a very scenic place to drop the hammer, didn't he? That's when I think investors began to realize, although Powell was late to starting to raise interest rates, now he, that he'd gotten started, he was going to continue raising rates aggressively. All, all aboard! And he hoped for a rally, and there was one 
there was one hope going into the event, as the market had been rallying since mid-June, was immediately dashed, and the market began another sickening slide. Now the megacap tech stocks and their tech brethren never found any footing. I think there were too many of them. They were too expensive. They had nothing in the way of catalysts to get them rolling. They kept getting clobbered. And you know what? In a lot of ways, they really deserved it because they had made so much money. But the others, like the industrials and the banks, well, they were also into free fall, too. Housing stocks were especially hard hit. These are companies that are heavily reactive to the Fed and the underlying economy. Powell's declaration of war against inflation impacted them the most. They had no underpinnings as Fed unleashed two Category 5 headwinds, a stronger dollar and much higher rates. That's when investors figured out that Powell seemed almost eager to take on inflation and play a lot tougher than most people gave him credit for. It resulted in one of the worst periods I've ever seen for the stock market. At its nadir, that sell-off even began to threaten the recession-resistant consumer product stocks. I mean, companies like Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, because the strong dollar was so detrimental to their business. And you would listen to these conference calls, which you know I like to do. Is they would say, X the dollar, X the dollar, strong the dollar, take out the strong dollar. And if you have dollars, to, you know, if you contain the dollar, currency, it, nothing. It didn't work. People sold stocks because the dollar went higher. But then the clouds parted. And some of the headwinds turned into tailwinds near the middle of October. And that's when we started seeing more encouraging inflation data. And the Fed let it be known that while we were in for another 75 basis point rate hike, after that, they consider scaling back the pace and the size of the tightening. Do you know that ever since then, we've had a totally bifurcated market? We've seen some remarkable runs in the traditional cyclical stocks, like we pointed out last night's off the charts, about the tremendous moves in the home builders, the companies that make things and do stuff at a profit with relatively cheap stocks saw their shares soar. It was incredible. It was a bull market within a bear market. This portion of the market's had a great run since mid-October. You know what's still going strong? It made plenty of sense. The headwinds turned into tailwinds. The dollar peaked and began a precipitous fall. The same with the yield on the 10-year Treasury. At the same time, those supply chain snafus began to adjust themselves. Fed has also succeeded in slaying the commodity beast. So the endless forecast slashing because of the strong dollar, because of the precipitous de- uh, declines in how things were being produced and the predictions about how higher rates would hurt things, well... They all got tempered, even the supply chain. I can't believe they settled that. The amazing thing is that despite the downbeat returns we got for the overall market, the Dow Jones Industrial Average finished a lot stronger than all the other indices. I call it the mighty Dow because it has the most exposure to stocks that are impacted by interest rates, by the dollar, and by commodity prices. It had the most headwinds into tailwinds of any of the indices. Given that the banks started reporting this Friday, it's important to point out that they've been reacting not to how much money they make off your deposits, which is a lot, but instead to how many bad loans they might get hit with if the Fed slams the brakes on the economy. The banks also do better when there's more loan demand, and that will be in better shape if the Fed doesn't have to raise interest rates as aggressively as we thought. Now, the Fed was true to its word. We got a 50 basis point hike in December after the 75 basis point hike in November. And it's working, as we saw last Friday, when we got the weaker than expected wage inflation, weaker factory orders and weaker service data. 
So what makes tomorrow's consumer price index number a big deal? Simple. We're looking to see if we're nearing the end of the period where companies can raise prices with impunity, meaning without losing market share to people who trade down the cheaper knockoffs. We're also at a moment where many stocks have caught fire because we're in a news vacuum right before earnings. But there will be no vacuum when it comes to J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Wells Fargo and Bank of America at the end of the week. We know these bank stocks bottom when interest rates peaked. I'm talking about the ones uh, set by the bond market. If these rates spike in response to the CPI tomorrow, I'm betting the bank stocks will go down and stay down no matter what they say. That's why we need a weatherman to tell which way the wind blows, to interpret the CPI data, because unless inflation is coming down in all the right places, this earnings season could be very rough. I only wish we had a good read on wages. The best we can hope for is the constructive monthly wage inflation number we got just last Friday. So let's help put all this together. At the same time, the banks, the industrials, the home builders, and even the consumer packaged goods stocks managed to roar higher thanks to lower rates back in October, better supply chain management, and weaker dollar. Mega cap tech and friends kept going lower. They only started coming back again together once the new year got rolling and the bifurcation closed. Now, we know this cohort's been devastated by the slowing global economy. It was confusing to many people because they expected tech to go higher, along with everything else. But this is a group that always performs poorly in an inflationary environment where central bankers around the world are slamming the brakes. So there's, here's where it gets really difficult. If inflation is low enough, as expected by tomorrow's, as exhibited by tomorrow's CPI reading, then maybe the tech and industrial rallies can continue. But if inflation isn't tame, I think the tech started another down move. How about the rest? Bottom line, right now we are projecting big macro numbers on company sectors. But starting Friday, we make judgments about individual stocks, not broad groups. And it will begin to be every company for itself. Let's go to Arthur in New Jersey. Arthur. Hey, Jim Booyah from Mountainside, New Jersey. Just on the road for me. Oh, man, great. Fantastic. You're just uh, like 10 minutes from me. What's going on? I want to first uh, say Happy New Year to you and your staff. Thank you. And And, uh, I'm sure my staff feels the same way. Thank you. uh, My question for you is Zillow. Is uh, now a good time to buy or should I just keep the bottom of my shoulder and wait for a lower price? Arthur, I would wait for a lower price. I mean, look, look, they screwed up. They've made a bit of recovery. But I cannot get behind Zillow in part because, you know what, it's still too connected with the housing market. We saw KB Homes tonight report a not great number. I think the houses are okay. I'd rather have you be in other industries, though. Starting Friday, it's every company for itself. Well, maybe money tonight. The market has punished the bank stocks recently. So is it time to disentangle this acronym that I created? We're going off the charts to find out which fang names could keep working this year. Then I'm running a screen on the SP 500 to find names that are attractive based on their peg ratio. And what's behind the recent rally in shares of medtech company Massimo? And, the, and can the uptrend continue? I'm finding out straight from the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call 
at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Like I said at the top, I keep telling you, we're in an almost unfathomable moment here. Right now, we're almost totally hostage to the economy and what the Federal Reserve does to contain inflation. But we don't have a clear picture of how that's going to play out. Hey, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow at 8.30 with the CPI. Trying to speculate is a fool's game, but that doesn't mean it's not important to have an informed worldview. At the same time, we're headed into what could be an ugly earnings season, but we don't know for sure how ugly it'll be and which sectors it will be most ugly. Hey, maybe some of them won't be bad at all. At times like this, when it's really tough to get a read on the big picture fundamentals without being emotional, I like to fall back on the charts, as you know, the technicals, because at least they can give us a more quantitative, less emotional sense of what's going on. And that's what's needed in a supercharged environment. We've had a couple of really great days. Everyone's getting very excited. So tonight we're running an off-the-chart special edition with the help of our friend Larry Williams. He's that legendary technician and market historian who's been the top expert in the space since I was struggling my way through puberty. Well, I wasn't. I didn't really struggle. <laughs> All right. Larry's written over a dozen books and created a host of his own proprietary technical indicators, which you can find on his website, which is ireallytrade.com. He's a master of creating forecasts. His 2023 forecast is now available on the website. If you want to see more, it's always worth doing. It's an amazing read. Most important, though, his record for us has been spectacular. Williams nailed the COVID bottom in April of 2020 when pretty much everybody expert was running away, chicken little, you know, that kind of thing, even as the market had really bottomed. 
Since then, he's made a series of eerily accurate calls that have consistently made you money. So we couldn't resist going back to him again for 2023 special look to see what he's saying. So what's he see going forward now that we've entered the new year? You know what? Let's do what I like to talk about, a group that has become unfathomable. Let's start with FANG, the old acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Although Facebook's now Meta and Google's now Alphabet. We in Mad Money actually created this acronym over a decade ago when these stocks relentlessly led the market higher. For many years, they were tremendous leaders. They made people fortunes. There's a reason the acronym caught on. But last year, the fangs totally collapsed and only got worse toward the end of the year. While the overall market bottomed on October 13th, as I said at the top, the fang stocks kept working lower, frustrating investors who stuck around too long. Remember my take, the fangs used to be as sec- secular growth stories to need the economy that could deliver great numbers no matter what. Even during a slowdown, we assumed they could keep roaring because they well, they were taking so much market share from their old-fashioned competitors. And that was absolutely true five or ten years ago. But there's only so much market share to take. And when the economy slows, well, look out now. The fangs have become the old line incumbents, I think. They originally sought to replace them. Now they are them. That means they're no longer secular growth stories. They're more cyclical growth stories that are hostage to the broader economy, especially the advertising-driven ones like Meta and Alphabet. They've also got the up-and-coming competitors of their own to fend off which makes things very difficult. It's not an easy thing to talk about these stocks anymore. As this new reality has shown up in the numbers, their stocks have been pummeled. But these are still huge companies that are weighed, weighted very heavily in the S&P 500. And they're stores, so what can I say? They, look, when you talk to people, they're still very popular among home gamers, and they punch above their weight. And lately, things have been rough. Check out the daily action, all four original fang names. As Williams sees it, Netflix is the new leader of the gang of four. Look at this, such a clear case, right? It began with the October bottom. Going to the bottom, the rest of the fang family was making new lows. Netflix was actually making a higher, a higher low. Not only did it, did it do better than its compadres, it did better than the broader averages, too. They had that really good quarter, and they also have a great slate of movies that's, and, uh, and series. And that's really, really helped them. That's why William says you need to disentangle the fang names. They no longer belong in the same boat. He's a big believer in buy what's strong, sell what's weak. Right now, Amazon and Alphabet, despite today's action, are weak. And their stocks have rebounded in recent days along with the rest of the tech. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, even though we do own these for the charitable trust. Meanwhile, Netflix is very strong, with Meta platforms somewhere in the middle. To Williams, this is not a case where the laggards will catch up. If you want fang exposure, he thinks this chart's screaming that you should stick with Netflix, or maybe Meta, but definitely not Amazon or Alphabet. Next up, how about Larry's forecast for the broader stock market? First, you need to know where we are coming from. So take a look at the daily chart of the action, the S&P 500, during late 2021 and early 2022. This is incredible. Williams points out that every single major rally during this period, and you're feeling it, aren't you, lasted for what? For 24 days. 24 days. 24 days. How is that happen? Isn't that amazing? That's it. Every single time. Technicians often look for these symmetrical moves, and while it never is never able to really explain why, it doesn't really matter. I mean, look, it can't. It is not random. These they, they did not throw darts. This is not just pain. It's not a Jackson Pollock. And look, this pattern held up during the second half of last year. Things got really ugly. Check it out. We had a 24-day rally in July, 
in August, a lot of people got sucked in right there, okay? And then another 24-day rally where, well, if you stayed with the fangs, you did terrible. But some of the stocks actually held in there, the industrials, like I talked about at the top. So where are we now? Look at the recent action in the S&P 500. We've just started a new uptrend here. And according to Williams, if the 24 trading day pattern holds, this move should keep going until February 3rd. And he wouldn't be surprised if it lasts even longer, because Williams thinks we're in the early choppy phases of a bull market. To him, most of the bad news already got baked in last year, which sets us up for a better time in 2023. Now, here's a bull. Here's a guy who's actually bullish. He's not listening to Mike Wilson all these other people come on and say, listen, it's the end of the world and the Fed, this, that. He likes it. Finally, that I likes to make all sorts of forecasts based on cycles that seem to repeat themselves. For example, here's the S&P 500 in black with the short-term cycle forecast in red. If the cycle holds, and most of the time I see his cycles hold, then he sees the S&P moving higher with a slight dip or stumble at the end of this month. Then he sees blast off. That's right. Blast off to an early March high. So we're right here. Looks like we come down a little bit here, and then, well, I mean, do you want to be in that or not? I don't want to miss that move. I know that even with the nice rebound over the last weeks, the prevailing attitude on Wall Street remains overwhelmingly negative. But, man, it does not pay to bet against this man, Larry Williams, especially when he's making a bold contrarian call like this one. Those are his best. Here's the bottom line. The charts as interpreted by Larry Williams, the dean, the dean of this kind of analysis, and of historical analysis of the market suggests that the market could have a very nice run over the next couple of months. And there's at least one bang name, Netflix, that should keep working right along with it. That money's back in. Coming up, he's a lean, mean screen machine. Kramer shares results from a stock screen you can't afford to miss. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This year's off to a good start, but you can't afford to get complacent. We're about to dive into earnings season. I think it could be brutal for some sectors for the market because the analyst earnings estimates for 2023 seem way too high for me for some sectors, especially in tech. 
I'm betting many companies will give conservative forecasts, and the analysts will have to slash their full-year estimates if they're worried about a Fed-induced recession caused by multiple rate hikes. The house of pain. It's going to be tough. Rather than trying to game the earnings, this is when we need to stick to our long-term strategy for a market where the Fed's tightening. I'm going to tell it to you again because it really matters. We want the stocks of real companies that make real products or provide real services at an actual profit, while ideally returning some of those profits to shareholders, you, via dividends and buybacks. Just as important, we only want those stocks if they're reasonably valued, because this market has very little patience for anything expensive. This is something we learned the hard way during the meltdown last year. As I've told members of the investing club, one of our biggest mistakes this year was thinking that profitability was enough. The stock had to be reasonably valued, too. A high price earnings multiple, even with a fast growth rate, was a death sentence. That was easy. So tonight, tonight we're running a stock screen looking for quality names to buy for 2023. Okay. And it's centered around what represents good value. Specifically, we're looking at what's known as the price to earnings to growth rate or the peg ratio for short. I love to teach. You know that. And this is something that we all are going to have to learn. The peg ratio, P-E-G. It's a beautiful metric. You take the price to earnings multiple. P.E. multiple, the textbook way to value a stock versus others. Then you divide it by the company's earnings per share growth rate. That tells you whether a stock is cheap or expensive relative to its own growth, which is what really matters when you're doing any exercise about what stocks, how they look, how they compare, whether you should buy them. It's nothing fancy, people. And I don't want to just scare you for a moment. This is simple arithmetic. A seemingly high multiple can almost always be justified if the earnings growth is fast enough, which is why we look at the peg ratio to identify potential opportunities. Although, don't forget, investors shied away from the high peg ratio stocks at the end of the year, even as they seem to love them so far in 2023. To run this screen, we look at every stock in the S&P 500, cut a couple that don't have enough analyst coverage to give us meaningful earnings estimates, then remove every single company that's expected to lose money this year. You know our rules. We don't want losers. We want profitability, first and foremost. Then we took out everything that's expected to have negative earnings growth for 2023. We don't want companies that are on track to have a down year. Put it all together, and that gets us to 376 stocks. Oh, that's way too many. So then we got to make another screen, make it tougher. So we took out anything that's expected to have sub 5% earnings growth this year. Then we took out anything with a nosebleed price to earnings multiple. That's the P.E. OK, we don't want a high P.E. Uh, the peg ratio is important. This market hates anything with a high price to earnings multiple. So anything trading at more than 30 times earnings out. At the same time, we don't want anything where the price earnings multiple is too low either. Get this. A low multiple is a signal that Wall Street simply doesn't believe the earnings estimates. The numbers are too high, and that's bad news for the stock. So we cut anything trading at less than 10 times earnings. That's still, I mean, I know this. It still left us with 227 stocks. Time to get even tougher. We cut anything with a dividend yield less than 2% because we love dividends here. Remember how much of your gains over time are created from running those dividends, rolling them in, rolling them in, just leaving the dividends run. That left us with 77 stocks. Now, on that group, we ran a peg ratio screen. We dropped anything with 
uh, with a peg ratio above two, meaning any stock where the price to earnings multiple is more than twice the earnings growth rate. You never want to pay more than twice the growth rate for anything. Remember that final criteria to our, mon- to our mantra. If it's expensive, the market doesn't like it. At this point, we only had 40 names left, and that is enough, finally, to pick out some of our favorites. Not easy to get from 500 to 40, is it? Let me give you my top five S&P stocks, which pass through this incredibly difficult, rigorous P-PEG ratio gauntlet. First, there's Cisco. Yes, the SYY kind, one of the top food suppliers to the restaurant industry. This is one of my favorite reopening plays, and the stock's held up much better than the averages, although it's been more or less range-bound for the last year. Right now, though, Cisco's trading at less than 17 times this year's earnings estimates with a projected earnings growth ratio, I'm sorry, growth rate of 14, and that gives it, to the math, a peg ratio of 1.2. That's pretty cheap. You rarely see the peg ratio go below $1. At the same time, they've got a real great story. Not only can Cisco pass on the cost of food inflation to their customers, these same customers are benefiting from an urge to dine out that doesn't seem to be going away even as the economy slows. That entertainment budget is still high. Plus, it's got nearly 2.5% yield. I love that there's such a lack of competition. I like the fact that you can take that 2.5% yield and reinvest it, and you almost have to use Cisco, the company, if you're in the restaurant business. Next up, there's one that I hardly ever talk about. It's called Johnson Controls, a textbook industrial that makes heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems, always called HVAC, security systems, fire safety products, all sorts of building maintenance stuff. Some people are squeamish on this one because Johnson Controls has a lot of exposure to what's known as non-residential construction, but I'm more sanguine because roughly half their business comes from servicing existing equipment. I love that annuity stream. Hey, you know who else likes Johnson Controls? Oh, my name is Steve Tusa, J.P. Morgan's extremely critical industrials analyst. And that matters to me. He's very good. The stock trades at under 17 times earnings, 14% growth rate, 1.2% peg ratio. I think it works this year. Third, many financials made the list, but my favorite is Morgan Stanley. I like it so much that we own it for my charitable trust, which, of course, you can follow along by joining the CNBC Investing Club. Morgan Stanley spent years transitioning from an investment bank to more of an asset management play. Much steadier business, much less risk. Still, it, it's also hostage to the markets. Last year's uh, stock and bonds got crushed, so Morgan Stanley's assets under management took a real hit. And obviously, the investment banking business has been awful for everybody. But I think 2023 will be a recovery year for Morgan Stanley, especially if the Fed stops tightening in the second half. It's just very hard to imagine them doing worse than they did last year. Now, Morgan Stanley's earnings are making a comeback. And if they can hit the consensus estimates, this stock's got a peg ratio of less than 0.9. That makes it extremely cheap. Even as the stock's rallied from below 75 in October to $89 now, I think it's got a lot more upside, although you might want to wait until after they report next week. Number four, one I don't talk nearly enough about, but I should because it's one that I really like, Ralph Lauren. I know apparel's been a dog thanks to a broad-based inventory glut, but Lauren reported a surprisingly strong quarter in early November. No one paid attention to it. I think they can do much better than the rest of the sector because their merchandise is levered to the the ongoing return to the office. That said, the real opportunity for these guys is overseas. Ralph Lauren's Asia business was up 33% on a constant currency basis, and that was with, with much of China still under lockdown. Like Morgan Stanley, Ralph Lauren has a peg ratio of less than 0.9% for a growth 
own stock like this makes it a bargain relative to all to its growth rate. And that 2.6% yield is the cherry on top. This one's become my favorite apparel stock for its consistency and excellent management. Finally, there's Vici Properties, which is a REIT that owns casino real estate along with some high-end golf courses and wellness retreats. Really, though, this is a gaming play. It's safer than the casino operators because it's always safer to own, to just own the landlord. And the peg ratio for Vici Properties is very low here because the stock sells for less than 14 times funds for operations, even as they're expected to deliver 69% growth this year. Now, I've recommended this one repeatedly. And you know what? I still like it even up here. It's got a 4.65% yield. Remember, always reinvest those dividends. Bottom line, as we kick off 2023, we want the same thing we did last year, high-quality companies that can give us growth at a reasonable price. And there I'm talking about companies like Cisco, Johnson Controls, Morgan Stanley, Ralph Lauren, and Vici Properties. Let's talk to Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer, congratulations on your Eagles earning the NFC's number one playoff seed. Well, I had a lot to do with it, Dave, so I appreciate you singling it out and uh, making clear that everybody knows exactly what role I played. Thank you. Jim, Asia-Pacific indexes such as MSCI China, KWeb, and HSI Tech are all up significantly in the last three months as China relaxes its strict COVID and consumer buying policies. Alibaba is up some 36%, outperforming all large-cap U.S. tech stocks. So, Jim, is it time to make an exception to your rule that China equities are uninvestable and pivot to the magic carpet ride of Alibaba? Well, see, David, it's such a great question. And what I've decided is that, you know what, they're just going to have to do it without me. I think it's a manipulated market, Dave. You've known me for a long time. That means, doesn't mean it can't be manipulated up. I happen to think, by the way, that Bitcoin is being manipulated up and Ethereum and Solana or Soldana or whatever that one is. I think it's Soldana, someone that was, I think she's a cousin of mine. Anyway, in 2023, we want high quality companies that can give us growth at a reasonable price. That's Cisco, Johnson Controls, Morgan Stanley, Ralph Lauren, and Vici Properties. Watch more Mad Money Head, including my sit down with the CEO of Massimo. We're talking about the future of healthcare next. Then fortunes were made and lost on shares of Tesla, but the real disaster? the constant hunt for the next Tesla. I'll explain. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. In the last couple of months, we've seen a tremendous rebound for the shares of Massimo Corporation. It's the medical technology play that's best known for its pulse oximetry. I used it during the pandemic and remote patient monitoring systems. This stock got a big boost during the COVID era. Then it plummeted early last year as the world went back to normal, in part simply because it was a high multiple stock and in part because the company announced an acquisition of a consumer technology company that the market didn't care for. Since then, we've gotten a series of strong results paired with conservative forecasts, including the most recent quarter in November, where Massimo reported tremendous sales and earnings while giving us a very, very weak outlook. So the stock fell 10% in response to a new, to a new 52-week low, even though the number was good. Then at bottom, since the November lows, Massimo has come roaring back. It's run from 108 and change 
to 156 in just a couple of months. Some of that's because they held a bullish investor day. And it also doesn't hurt that they just won an International Trade Commission judgment uh, versus Apple yesterday, although there are plenty of tussles with Apple ahead. Can it keep climbing? Let's check, check, let's check in with Joe Chiani. He's the founder, chairman, CEO of Massimo. To get a better read of business and where it's headed, Mr. Chiani, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. Good to see you. Okay, so Joe, I, let's catch up because during the pandemic, you were the gold standard. I know that people like I used your uh, pulse oximetry was uh, everyone thought the best. You go into a hospital and there was all your equipment to be able to make it so that the doctors didn't have to go in. If there were the nurses didn't have to go check, you certainly lessened the likelihood of catching COVID. Uh, catch us up since then because you've been making some very big moves. Thank you. I first of all. We were there when people needed us. Our technology made a difference. A study just came out that said when people used our technology to send people home to remotely monitor them for COVID, they reduced mortality by 70% and saved over $11,000 a patient. That, along with the market telling us we're the only thing real out there for telehealth, telemonitoring and consumers, led us to go more aggressive towards the personal health and the health sector that we see at home. Um, And with it, we've just introduced this product I'm wearing called W1, which is the first unobtrusive, wearable, continuous pulse oximeter, which we hope will save countless lives and help people get in better shape. Now, let's talk about some of the other things, because I think you've got, uh, I once had to do a sleep study. Joe, $20,000 to do exactly what yours does, okay? $20,000 not covered by insurance. Uh, some of the hearing things you're doing, fortunes, and yours are much lower prices. Talk about those because they're breakthrough and insurance companies are not helping where you're getting the job done. Absolutely. At the Investor Day, we gave a peek of, of what's coming. First of all, we have a product coming called Stork that will be used for babies when they come home at risk of sudden infant death syndrome. About 5,000 babies die every year from this. And now this is the first accurate continuous monitor for pulse oximetry along with temperature and camera that parents can use. Secondly, we are very, very interested in improving people's listening and hearing by acquiring Bowers and Wilkins, Morantz, then and these incredible audio brands combining it with our adaptive acoustic technology. We have a technology now that allows earbuds and headphones to send a signal automatically to your ear canal, know which frequencies you have lost hearing or need more help with, and enhance those particular frequencies so you can listen better and eventually you can hear better. We plan to have an OTC plan for just better listening environment and eventually go through the FDA for a product that helps people hear better. That's about a $50 billion market that we hope to address. Also with the wearable that I just spoke with, the first of its kind, that not only does continuous and accurate pulse oximetry, but it measures the hydration index. That's another $50 billion market. So we're about to go from a TAM of 10 billion to over $170 billion TAM by entering this new consumer health sector. And that's total adjustable market people. Okay, so I've got my Apple Watch, 
and I've got your watch here. And look, there's some great features to it, no doubt. But look, I've always said to people, listen, own Apple stock, don't trade it. And that's because I'm quite enamored of every product they come out. It's great technology. All those other markets that you just mentioned to me, there really is anyone even can touch you. Why go against these guys on this business? Joe, they're a big company, a lot of resources, and very good at what they do. Well, Apple's good at taking other people's innovations and repackaging them. Oh, We're good at innovating on, and making Joe. things that no one has made before. No, I mean it. It's not just Massimo. Alivecore had a similar situation. Tile. I mean, you, the, the list is long, and I don't want no to get into calling. it right now. But no name calling. Let's talk about right. the advantages right. you have versus Apple. And vice. Yeah, let's do that. I'm just stating the facts. And let me tell you now, I'll give you another fact. We've studied our watch versus their watch with Paul Sox. And even though we just won the ITC case against them at the first step of a couple of steps to go, we did a desat study where we brought in volunteers and we had them desaturate. They missed 94% of the desaturation events. And the 6% of the time they measured, their accuracy was 4.5%. We caught 100% of those events and our accuracy was better than 2%. So there's a huge difference. This is a bigger delta than we had when we entered the Pulsox space, which now we're the leader of, monitoring 200 million people a year worldwide in hospitals. Our delta is bigger. And Jim, there's a third of our population that have chronic illnesses where they need something real, something serious that they can rely on for their health. Fair enough. Well, look, we're going to leave it at that. I've got my Apple. I'm not going to necessarily change my view. I like the fact that Joe's trying to innovate and help more people's lives. And we're always in favor of that. And everything that he's done is the right is done with the right thing in mind, personal health and taking control of it. I want to thank Joe Kiana. He is the CEO of Massimo Corp, M-A-S-I. We've used his products during the pandemic. And now he's back with a whole set of new ones. Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jim. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Solomon in Colorado. Solomon. All right. Hey, how you doing, Mr. Turner, man? You are I am right. doing well. Um, Thank you for calling. What's going on? Uh, I got an oil and gas company. Uh, the CEO owns about 15% of outstanding stock. Uh, pays over 11% dividends. And uh, I think the dividend's going to go higher by 20 and 20, 20, 30%. Something Blackstone Minerals. And I was just wondering what you thought uh, about You know what? I like this situation. I, but I like oil and gas. That is a yield. It is typical of some of the better oil and gases and the insiders have been buying. I think you have a good situation there. Let's go to Don in Florida. Don! Booyah, Jim! Booyah, Don! What's happening? I'm a member of the CNBC Investing Club, and I love the new home stretch to see what you're thinking before the end of the day. Thank you. The home stretch around 2.30. I'm pouring my heart out for this club. What's going on? Love it, love it. Hey, uh, you recommended Biomarin back uh, last in May of last year, and I'm up 50%. What do you suggest I do? 
Oh, they made some good presentations the other day. I think J.J. Bionme is doing a terrific job. I would hold on to that one. Really good reports, as I said, like J.J. Peter in New Jersey. Peter. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well, Peter. How about you? Good, thanks. Um, Long-time fan of the show. Thank you. And uh, I'd like to get a rosy outlook, if you can give it to me, on a company called Cura. Cura Oncology. Okay, that's it. One of these personalized cure oncology companies. Here's what I say about those. Some of them are going to work and some are not. But you have to understand that the risk-reward is interesting, but only on one of those, please. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, there was money to be made by Tesla's ride to prosperity. And lessons to be learned in its wake. Stick with Kramer. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. This stock made people a lot of money. And then it lost people a lot of money. <laughs> Tesla's run from around 15 bucks in October 2019 to nearly 415 in November of 2021 was truly historic. It made fortunes and established several money managers as visionaries, even if many of them are now looking like one-trick ponies. But since then, Tesla's cost investors millions of dollars. Inspired by some genuine weakness in sales, coupled with the endless stock sales that CEO Elon Musk needed to do in order to raise enough money to pay for his feckless acquisition of Twitter. Hey, by the way, as a user, I think Twitter's doing fine, but that was a terrible business decision. Now, I think it's terrific that Tesla could make so much money for people on the way up. It's a living testament to the fact that picking individual stocks can be much more lucrative than just sticking all your money in an index fund, provided you sell those stocks once their valuations start reaching absurd levels. In the end, Tesla is a car company, and in 2021, its stock had somehow transcended the auto industry, even as the underlying business definitely hadn't. If you only look at Tesla itself, even after this horrific last year, the long-term gains are still enormous. But the worst thing about this stock is that it spawned a whole cottage industry of finding the next Tesla. And that's where the real disasters came from. The public lost hundreds of billions of dollars in search of the next Tesla. This is a great cautionary tale you must learn. You've got to understand how the game works. When a company like Tesla comes up with a highly profitable invention, it creates a halo. Suddenly, all sorts of inventors, including those who previously worked with Musk, start pitching their ideas to venture capital firms. And the VC guys shower money on the idea of what an electric car might look like. SPAC managers get involved, too. They don't know what the heck else to do with their money. They got invested in the clock. Clock's ticking on their blank checks. They only got two years. So why not hunt for the next Tesla? Given how well Tesla was doing at all times, it seemed like a reasonable hunt. But finding the next Tesla was always impossible because the best things about Tesla were that they didn't have any serious competition. And, well, Tesla had Elon Musk. The other guys didn't have Elon Musk. 
Once there's a second player with any heft, nobody's Tesla. Honestly, though, that would be a high-quality problem for most of these imitators because none of them look like they'll make it that far. I want to tick them down for you because it's pretty darn discouraging. Rivian down 90.5% from its high. Lucid off 87.8%. Fisker down 74.9%. Polestar only down 65.1%. Nikola lost 97.5%. That was the ridiculously fraudulent one. Canoes down 95.2%. The Lion Electric down 94%. Lightning E Motors 97.2%. Lordstown Motors 96.6%. And Faraday Future Intelligent Electrics down 97.7%. Now, i got to tell you something. That's nothing short of disgraceful, but it's exactly how Wall Street works. Speculators were so transfixed by Tesla that they were willing to take huge chances on some highly dubious merchandise that might be like Tesla. And the investment banks are just thrilled to bring the garbage. They don't care as long as there's money to be made. Of course, it wasn't just Tesla. It was anything related to electric vehicles. I mean, just think, I, I like a gazillion of them. I want to cut some of them down. Charging stocks, charge points going from 49 to 10. EV goes going from 24 to 5. Blink charging, 60, uh, 64 to 12. All disasters. The electric vehicle battery stocks are nightmares. Quantumscape went 132 to 7. There are many more derivatives, but you get the picture. The thirst to find these kinds of stocks, coupled with the greed of those who funded them and then brought them public, all combined to lose you fortunes if you stuck with their stocks. The House of Pain. There are many reasons to lament the Fed's stance on inflation. There will be lots of people who are thrown out of work. There will be a ton of bankruptcies. But one thing is certain. The era where anyone could get money and fool the public is over. The tantalizing has ended. And it couldn't happen soon enough. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.